Hi there. Welcome to The Preventable, the podcast giving you a seat at the table with conversations about the intersection of alcohol, drugs, and mental health in everyday lives. Take a seat and join us. Welcome to The Preventable. And uh, that's the name we've decided on, so we're going to just stick with it. We went back and forth about, you know, which emphasis do you put the syllable on? So we're we're going, yeah, we're going preventable. Nice. Uh, with me today is Dr. Cunningham. I had to pause because <laughs> she just got married. Congratulations. Yes, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so if you're listening and you're like, Dr. Cunningham, Dr. Cunningham, who the heck is that? You probably know her by her maiden Dr. name. Turner. Dr. Turner. Cunningham. <laughs> and so Dr. Turner. So you're, are you hyphenating or we're just going full no, Cunningham? I, full Cunningham. Yeah. A I more conservative, just... Full Cunningham. I so if you, like it. Dr. Turner is the new Dr. Cunningham. That's right. That's <laughs> Same right. person. That's right. So, and you got hitched to Carl Cunningham, who yes. is just like the <laughs> coolest person. He's a sergeant. Yes, right? for yeah, St. Louis City Police Department. And we actually met doing work around opioids. Oh, <laughs> look at that. It was like a match made in I know, the we, field of service. Yes, we, we joke and say, you know, drugs brought us together. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> so you're... So you know, full transparency. You are a member of our board, and yes. we are so grateful for that. And you've been on our board now for a little over a year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But even before then, I mean, we worked in the same spaces because mm-hmm. you've kind of really devoted your your life's work to making sure moms and babies, in particular. Yeah, I was like moms and babies, but I say mostly like the black community. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, but I've done, of course, like some advocacy with moms and babies, just like within the clinic, I feel mm-hmm, like. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've, a lot of my work have been more so like advocacy in the black community and then just Making kind of in the sure addiction medicine have- space in general. Yes. Um, but it's pretty much like changing the narrative behind substance use. And that can be true for, I think, anyone that's dealing with substance use. Um, I just know a lot of harms and hurt have been, um, you know, Definitely in the black community, especially, you know, we can't um, not talk about the effects of systemic racism when it mm-hmm. comes to um, substance use treatment in the black community. Um, but I I just realized that like, going through school, so medical school, residency, um, we're not taught this stuff. And, like, we're taught to take a social history. So it's a matter of how many cigarettes do you smoke today? Do you smoke cigarettes? Yes. How many do you smoke? Okay, a pack per day. Do you drink alcohol? You know, so it's like... We don't really get into the treatment and understanding this as a chronic disease. And it was really when I was a resident to people um, who really helped me meet Dr. Fred Rotnick, who is amazing. amazing. (laughs) I want him on on the podcast. Yes, Yes, please do. But like he was so I mean, he actually was. The person who kind of like introduced me and got me engaged because it was initial work around, you know, faith based communities. Right. Right. And when I was in medical school and in residency, I was doing a lot of work with local churches, black churches, just in general preventable things like hypertension, diabetes. Um, And they brought me in for this particular faith based initiative. And I was actually really nervous about it. I did not know how the black church was going to receive a message of about substance use. Mm-hmm. You know, it tend to be this punitive and moral failing yep. and, you know, but honestly, the approach that I took was that medical approach and helping pastors and deacons and mothers 
to understand how I see this as a disease. And it started to like, they were receiving me. I didn't get any pushback. Um, I think now the crazy. Doors. Thank you. I, I tried. I was so nervous. I was so nervous about it. Um, but now with harm reduction, you know, that was the Can next part. Can you clarify what harm reduction oh, is yeah, in yeah. case people are listening and they don't know what that, that means? That is true. So um, I love this. So it's meeting people where they are. Um, and the root of it is, you know, we want to save lives. And the reality is drugs are going to be around in our system, in our society. Um, people are going to have access to them, but we don't want nobody to die, right? right? So how can we keep somebody alive? So it's counseling on how to safely use, how to um, um, how to use Narcan is just one aspect of it, um, how to test your drugs. And it's all rooted in, I want you to stay alive so you can come back and see me or maybe go to your family member's house. Um, it's a completely different concept. I think some of us that's in this space like have latched onto that idea. Um, but for some people, it's quite challenging to understand that. Um, well, I'll just be, you know, really candid. I mean, that was a a topic that Prevent Ed, formerly NCADA. I mean, we were really slow to embrace. Yeah. Because we're all about prevention. So mm-hmm. we didn't know that we could be all about prevention mm-hmm. and really promote the idea of harm reduction. Right. They're not mutually exclusive. Right. But in one way you can say that it's preventing the potential harms mm-hmm. that can I mean, come it's along. A different kind of right. It's a different kind. Right. But it's like Death who prevention, but it's right. also like you need we had a guest in here who was talking about that old that parable, the fence or the ambulance, mm-hmm. right? And so you've got people coming downstream and you know you're you're trying to like take the bodies out of the water and nobody's really wondering what's causing yes right and so in reality mm-hmm. i think what we've all started to realize is that we need people upstream yes to try to prevent people from getting in the water in the first place yes and we need people downstream for the people that are already in the water yes it's like a both and it's yep. not an either or right i agree i agree so it's, it's a huge lift um and i think introducing that into the clinical space is also new um i think for physicians or providers in this treatment space is either push abstinence and I think now we're just making leeway with feeling comfortable using suboxone Mm -hmm. but this idea that somebody is actively using and they're coming to me like that's a pretty new phenomenon and you know I tell people that people who actively use they care about their bodies they want to live and when I see people in my clinic um, you know what does recovery look like for you maybe it could be I'm not use an IV, but I'm snorting, you know, and that's a celebration. That's a win. And I think for some people in our space, it's more so that either or, either you're going to do the Suboxone, Vivitrol, go to the methadone clinic or go to counseling, or you're just not even going to come in here anyways. And it's like, we're forgetting about what about all the other aspects? What about treating for hep C? What about discussing contraception for, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. for some women? What about getting pap smears, managing a hypertension? So I have quite a few people who work um, part-time. I have some who, and are are still, and they are still, yes. Mm -hmm. And, Mammogram is up to date. Pap smear is up to date. Functioning alcoholic. <laughs> yes, back yes. In the day, it was. like that term has definitely <laughs> fallen out of favor. Yes, but, right. Yeah, but it's like, but let's give people the opportunity to access healthcare services. But then also, it needs to be trauma informed and truly patient centered. 
and not a paternalistic view where we're telling you what you need to do. And I tell a people, I learn a lot. and yeah. a, a kind of a white supremacist Yes, view. it is. Uh-huh. It definitely is. It def- Yes, it definitely is. And when people see me, I think they're so shocked when I'm like, okay, so let's talk about if you are to use, this is what I want you to do so you can come right, back and see me. because we're assuming <laughs> that you're a doctor and yeah. you're going to say, okay, do you right. use drugs? And then, no. And that people are going to yes. cry right. on those, you know, screams. Right. I spend a lot of, like, counseling up front, like, letting people know that, you know, not trying to discharge you. I understand, like, it's a chronic disease. There's going to be periods where you may just have a recurrence of use. That doesn't make you a bad person. Nope. That doesn't make, uh, you know, a reason to kick you out of the clinic. Like, no, that's not. And I use the example with the diabetes. You probably hear that probably a lot or the hypertension, you know, and if somebody's doing really well on their diabetic medications, Thanksgiving come around, and a lot of us have a recurrence. Yep. <laughs> yep. I love sweet potato pie. I love all oh, of that. Gosh, <laughs> and it's yeah. like then you come back, and let's say your A1C is back up to 9.9. What do I do? Nobody's going to, you know, chastise yeah. you and say, get out of my clinic. Yeah. like You failed. Right. right. Like, okay, let's revisit your treatment plan. Get let's let's connect mm-hmm. you back with nutrition. How can I help you? Let me increase your visits. And, like, that's the type of model we need to adapt with this. And I know it's new. But we, I, I mean, I also push for more primary care providers to feel comfortable with this. Yes, that's a huge you know? When I think of you, and, and I, I think that's why I thought moms and babies initially, just because when I think of you, when, when I hear your name or I see an email from you come across, in my brain, it's you at the primary care setting helping families yes. get comfortable talking about things mm-hmm. because they're being asked and embraced and the topic is being brought up by their yes. primary care physician. Mm-hmm. And that is a whole change yes. in mentality. It, I agree. It, it's not the in and out. It's the how can I help you as a person? Yes. Flaws or whatever you want to call them and all. And we're going to do your paps and we're yep. going to, you know, <laughs> check your heart. And, right. oh, by the way, yep. are you? You know, are you are you using like what's yep. what's going on there? Mm-hmm. I just I think of you and I think family, which is yep. why like it's so interesting <laughs> to like start off. I by, love like, what I do. No, that's true. And, like, and you know, it's like I, I mean that's true. So like my clinic is the first to offer this care. Um, when in St. Louis area on a primary care level, typically somebody had to see a high risk doctor. Huge. Yeah, it is. And at our clinic, you know, we have a lot of women who have been coming to us for years. And, you know, they've created these relationships with my staff. And then it's like, once you get pregnant, okay, now you have to see somebody uh-huh, else. Uh-huh. And it's like, now, no, you can stay at our clinic. Now, it can be traumatizing. It can be. And, I mean, it can be very off-putting that you've yes. built a relationship with this person. And, and then now, now go see um, someone else mm-hmm. who may treat me differently. Um, but, I mean, I also appreciate the high-risk clinics here. I have formed relationships with them. So there are times where I need to send someone like, hey, I need you to see one of my friends at this particular That's location. A real warm hand right, off. it is. Like, let me tell you what to expect. I know them. You know that's different, and so for me, I just I it's it's so it's so amazing. And then when you get to the delivery and you're there with them, they have the baby. It's just like like oh, you know, like we did it. <laughs> did you always want to be a doctor? Oh, honestly, yes. I, um, I can see that. <laughs> I can see it because you just but and like you're the type of doctor that like I want. You know what I mean? I mean, that would be weird. But that would probably be weird. But People ask me. It was so funny. Like, when I first, like, graduated, I had, like, people from, like, elementary school and junior high, like, I remember when you said this during career day. I remember. And it's just like, oh, my goodness. I didn't believe you remember that. But, um, but yeah, I take this 
I take it so serious, but I love what I do and I love to create change. But my biggest like joy for me is when I'm in the exam room and when I learn from my patient, like I learn all the slang and lego from them. <laughs> You know, why do you just, think I go back in the classroom yes. every once in a while? I know I gotta, I gotta stay hip. Yes, yes, but I, I do, and it has its time. With, with COVID, I have to be honest with this too. You know, with COVID, a lot of us have experienced significant burnout, physician oh, yeah. suicide has increased. That's a very real reality. Um, but overall, when I take a step back and look at, even in the midst of this, being able to save lives with talking about, you know, boosting vaccine confidence, testing someone. Um, you know, taking care of other preventive care needs in the midst of a pandemic, it can be, um, you know, very, you know, you can find yourself just feeling burned out, yeah. but there's some satisfaction there too, knowing that, you know, we had patients who initially would switch to telemedicine, like, no, I want to come in and see you. Mm. You know, just kind of like, you want to come see me? You want to come in, come to the clinic? Okay, let's Which, make this safe. <laughs> I mean, Dr. Cunningham, you know this. I'm certainly not telling you anything. And in the last couple of minutes, I just... I mean, this is a what you're doing is really changing the the black experience with healthcare. Yeah, I hope so. I hope because to. I to. mean, <laughs> for so long there has been a really challenging, yes. distrusting relationship, rightly rightfully so. Mm-hmm. And so you're trying, and I think succeeding in Thank making you. people of color feel more comfortable, be mm-hmm. accepted, be trauma-informed, be preventative, be yeah. feel empowered empowered about mm-hmm. making their own their decisions about their own life and their own yes. health. I mean, that's yes. that's really incredible. And what I don't want to do is I don't want to sit here and list all of the reasons why the relationship between healthcare and communities of color was has been so bad. It's I don't want to do that. <laughs> exactly. But what I what I am interested in is what do you think people listening can do to keep moving forward in their own doctor's offices and with their own experiences? Um, even someone like me, who is a white woman. I mean, how how can I be part of what it is that you are doing? Oh, um. <laughs> I know. That's, that's a lot for like a, two minutes. I know, I know. You know, I, I would say just be real. You know, people can sense when you're phony. They can sense when you're biased. They can sense when you're just, like, getting them in and out. Like, be real with people. That's, like, the best thing you can do is be genuine and show up as yourself and recognize your flaws. Like, you know, even as a physician, like, I've had to tell patients, like, you know what? I'm so sorry it took me so long to get back to you. I was in the hospital. And my patients appreciate that, and I like to – I mean, I just treat people as a human. Do you teach other physicians? Um, I have, yeah. I've been doing a little bit, which is Good. more so like opioid stuff. But <laughs> mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I that's the biggest takeaway I can say is be real, be genuine, and acknowledge, you know, if you are, I would say, if you are a white person in this space, acknowledge that you may be coming to the table with some biases. You may have been socialized um, by principles of white supremacy and privilege and recognize that because that can show up with that black person sitting in front of you and they may not ever come back and see you anymore that's because right. that's showing up. And then what's happening to them? Yeah. Are, I mean, have you burned that bridge to where mm-hmm. now they're not going back to see another physician? Are yeah. they 
you know, not taking care of their health because they have been burned so many times in the yeah. past. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you have a lot of responsibility, yeah. and I know that you know that. And yes. <laughs> um, I am just so appreciative of you serving on our board, of thank you. your friendship, um, but thank also you. you stopping by today. So oh, thank you for having me. I love that we can just talk just and not talk. have to, like, talk about data. I know. <laughs> I know. When I invited you, I was like, I don't need data points. I don't right. need anything specific. I just want to talk about you. Perfect. So thank you so much. Thank if you. If you want more with Dr. Kanika Cunningham <laughs> or you want to learn more about um, harm reduction, or recovery or um, equity, yes. by all means, please subscribe, like, and review the Preventable Podcast. Dr. Kanika. Oh, I almost <laughs> did it! Dr. Kanika. No, no, no. Anyway, thanks for coming. Thank you. <laughs> thanks for joining us at The Preventable, brought to you ad-free by Prevent Ed. Prevent Ed works to reduce or prevent the harms of alcohol and other drug use through education, intervention, and advocacy. Please visit their website at prevented.org. Like what you heard? Rate, review, and subscribe to stay up to date with what we are serving on The Preventable.